privilege of presenting God's word today. Actually, you got the passage. I go digital so much, sometimes I forget my Bible. <laughs> We're going to be in Acts chapter 14, as I make sure I'm in the right spot here. We're only going to be going over a few verses today. It's going to be in the, the end of Acts 14. But before we get started, um, I'd like to just take a step back and just praise God for who He is today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we praise you and exalt your name today, the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We want our minds to be focused on you. Lord, I pray for the, the gathered church today. I pray for us to, to put out our distractions to remove anything that would want to, to grab our attention away from you, your beauty, your truth, and, and the edification that you have for us today. Lord, I pray for myself as I, I speak your words. Lord, I do so fearfully, and I pray, Lord, that if anything I say is an error, Lord, that you just snatch it right from the ears of its hearers. Lord, we are privileged to know you and to know your truth, your grace, Lord, in redeeming us. Deprived wretches, rebels, abandoning truth, the King of kings. And Lord, you, you, you showed such an amazing grace by loving a rebellious people, by saving us for yourself. Lord, I pray you are honored today, that, that you are glorified today, and that we treasure your truth in our hearts in a genuine way that only the Holy Spirit can do. Holy Spirit, we beg you today, affect our hearts with the wisdom that only comes from God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've selected a short passage of Acts today. It's going to be uh, Acts 14, verses 24 to 27. I'll be reading from the ESV. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Persia, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And then they arrived and gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained there no little time with the disciples. 
the Lord add his blessings to the word. In our passage today, we're jumping in at a point where, where Paul and Barnabas are back at their commending church from the work that they had just completed. Pisidia to Pamphylia, Perga to Italia, and now they're back at Antioch. Luke quickly summarizes this stretch of travels by the men. To put their travels into perspective on this first journey, here's an interesting fact. Paul and Barnabas had traveled over 700 miles by land and over 500 miles by sea. They witnessed and were part of amazing works by God's hand. Countless people have come to faith in Jesus. They've seen churches started gathering in every area. God had also done some miraculous works of, of healing in many lives. And now they're back. They're back at the church in Antioch, where they've no doubt been missed a great deal. So what do they do when they return? They gather the church. I love to visualize this. A new church had been grown by the Lord in Antioch. Then they send out two missionaries to continue the work of establishing new churches. And now that the first work they had set out to do was completed, they come back to share all the things that God had done. These few verses at the end of chapter 14 capture what is critical to the healthy heartbeat of the local church. This really resonates with me, having witnessed firsthand the varying degrees of this heartbeat or the lack of it in various churches over the course of my life. From big U.S. city churches to little farm town communities, churches in Ukraine, Russia, Mongolia, I've seen the truths of this passage and how this work and purpose impacts the church as a whole. What is taking place here is vital. What is it? It's the outworking of the mission and purpose of the church. Worship. Worship. When we talk about church planning, missions, missionaries, evangelism, outreach, edifying one another, teaching, preaching, correction, singing, praying and pleading with our Lord... All of these words and actions are focused on one end. To glorify God through worship. Our, our desire to preach the gospel, establish new churches, start new ministries, see people kneel to Jesus and receive new life. 
the work is done because there are people and places that exist today where God is not worshipped. We've seen varying degrees of this being done and not done. We've seen studies on churches that are missional, inward, outward, seeker-friendly, unfriendly, attractional, biblical, creedal. But we don't need to package up, label, carelessly copy, criticize, or creatively build on these methods in other churches or, or our own. Rather, we look at the work in its simplicity and follow the model that we have for us here. What's simple about what we're reading and learning about today? What's simple about it? There's a new church that had been grown in the Lord through the preaching of the gospel, elders being appointed for the work of overseeing the newly established flock, and people being commended for the work of reaching other places with the same message of hope and restoration. To see the same replication in places that God wasn't already worshipped. And this... This has all been marked by something very clearly by Luke as he writes about these churches throughout his letter. It's joy. It's joy. If if the focused work of seeing the exaltation of Jesus and his hope of reconciliation permeate every corner of this earth, if, if that is the heartbeat of of the local church. Then joy is the electrical trigger that contracts the heart that moves the blood through the body. I'm convinced it's why Luke mentions over and over and over the rejoicing and unity that marks the churches in his letter. This this isn't an ambiguous joy either. It's the joy Jesus talks about us receiving in Him. We can only get it from Him. We, we read in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full, a completeness, total it's, it's the complete joy the apostles John the Apostle John talks about in his letter. I want you to listen again in first John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. 
That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See, joy is received in fellowship with our Lord. The completeness of that joy is in that life and hope not ending with us, but rather being bound to others that belong to Christ. Again, that that joy is in that life and hope not ending on us or with us, but rather being bound to others that belong to Christ. That share the heart of Christ for His people. So that our joy may be bound to the spiritual well-being of those we minister to. The outworking of this joy is seen in the passage, in this passage that we're in in Acts. But it's not the function of what we're observing that brings the joy. It's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. This is important to note because we can easily get misaligned with thinking that we need to act a certain way or do a specific thing to trigger God's response. That's just not the case. We, we can visibly replicate what we see and read right here and it not be good. Because a joyless church can still be a busy church, but not a fruitful one. Stay focused on the words of John. That it's the hope that eternal life was made manifest to them and now to us. That is his joy. That exciting hope then dwells up in him and proclaims it out to others. When the gospel ends with us, our joy withers and eventually dies. I'm going to touch briefly on one important fact, but focus overall on the believing church. If you haven't experienced the joy of knowing and being redeemed by Jesus, the joy of being redeemed by Him, like like an overwhelming, renewing, purpose-filled joy that was like a fresh, cold spring of water in the desert, which we we can really resonate with right now, right? If you haven't experienced that joy, you might not know Jesus. Because he completes our joy. 
I say that because we see many gatherings of people who, who say they know Jesus, but are little more than a private social club that meet for potluck once a month. This isn't to say that someone redeemed by Jesus doesn't go through various struggles, but, but that there is an unquenchable source of life, joy, and hope that indwells regenerate souls. This is how things like verse 27 make any sense. The, the unregenerate person doesn't care about or understand God's work in the world. Do you, do you get excited about the gospel? Do you, do you get excited when you read about and hear about God's business? What he's doing all over the world. Imagine for a moment... A gathering of unregenerate people in verse 27. Maybe you gather some from the street, the local grocery store, a few co-workers. You bring them all together and declare how God had opened a door of faith to the people in, in Wilcox. They'd be like, ah, that's nice. So, so what's for lunch? How long would that unity last? A gathering of unregenerate people focusing on the glory and purposes of God. How, how long would the gathering for worship and fellowship be maintained? It, it wouldn't, right? I mean, you would either realign your focus on something that would unite you all together, like we unfortunately see in many places today, or it would quickly disband. It's only in a, a gospel-centered gathering of redeemed people focused on gospel-proclaiming message that results in gospel-focused work. Where you can look at what's driving it and find joy in knowing, loving, and serving Jesus. We see that at the apostles' return to Antioch, that they remain in fellowship with the church for a great deal of time before continuing on. I want us to take a moment and ask ourselves a few simple questions in light of today's passage. Do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? It seems like a simple question. In perspective, where, where we live in our context, the United States, less than half of Americans belong to a local church. Less than half. Now, this statistic, take it with a grain of salt, is at an eight-decade low. Eight decade low. Now, I, I don't personally think that less people are believing in God. I don't think he's redeeming fewer people in our day. 
I just think there, there are less societal pressures today to do so. People are actually saying what they believe. Rather than a generic, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian or I'm a Catholic. Uh, I think I'm Mormon. Um, I'm Muslim. That's the way I was raised. It's, do I, do I believe and love this Jesus? This Jesus. It's perfectly acceptable in our culture today to reject God. We know the Bible teaches everyone does. But now it's accepted and expected in many places of our country today. And it's also common and accepted to practice all kinds of syncretism, the kind of merging of different faiths. Oh, I like this part about Christianity. Well, I don't like the convicting part. So you just keep that and uh, I'll take this part of, you know, whatever it is. Synchronism. We see, we see a lot of that. I'm reminded of a, a long conversation I had with a man not long ago who told me he was a Christian. And in a short amount of time, we started talking about how he believes there is a God, but he's not convinced it's the God of the Bible. Like, but, but he said he's a Christian. Like, to, to be a Christian is to follow Christ. Christ is revealed the scriptures. There are many ways that you can answer this question. Do I love Jesus? But one of the simplest ways is to ask what specifically about the person of Jesus, of the Bible, stir your affections and cause you to speak about him. What we talk about, we love it's on our minds and our hearts speak the things that fill them Paul teaches that there are other Jesuses taught in his day and there is in ours too talking about the person of Jesus and who he actually is is a good test of whether we believe in the Jesus of the Bible or another Jesus Another really great way to answer this is to look at specific things Jesus tells us to do. Read what he says and weigh it against your life. Jesus says, if you love him, you're listening and obeying his instruction. We can look at this any day of our life, and it is a good thing to do. I've been a Christian for over 20 years. And I've been among countless professing Christians throughout my life. And the most glaring point of hypocrisy and confusion I've witnessed to date, to date, my whole life, is a lack of forgiveness. Uh, It's manifested in backbiting, gossip, division, slandering, sowing discord, among many other ways. But it's rooted in unforgiveness. You take up an offense. 
You coddle it. You love it. You feed it. You make an enemy of the offender and anyone else that threatens your new love. This is the most prominent, contradicting, and self-deceiving practice I've seen among professing Christians to date. From friendships to marriages. If we do not forgive, we are not forgiven. Not my words. Jesus' words. If we don't forgive, we are not forgiven. It's a pretty easy test. And I encourage all of us to test ourselves in this. So that you can be encouraged that you are in Christ Jesus. We are not instructed to question our salvation on a regular basis. We're we're instructed to test what we have to ensure it's genuine. Do I enjoy conversations with others about God? (coughs) Talking about who He is, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. These These aren't only questions to determine if someone is in Christ. This is also a matter of pursuing what pleases and honors Jesus. What keeps us of sound mind, encouraged in the faith, living joy-filled lives by walking the path that desires and delights, delights in God's law. If there was an announcement today that we were going to have a dinner tonight and chat about the explosive growth of the church in China for two hours, would that interest you? Would you go? It's not a trick. (laughs) What plans tonight would be more important? Ask yourself. Be honest with yourself. If talking about God doesn't excite you, don't let the focus be questioning your faith. Rather, ask God. Ask, pray, plead to the living God to do that work in your life today. He's a miracle-working God, and He loves, He takes joy in answering our prayers. Isn't that something? Lord, I want what You want. I want to be on, on Your program. I want to do Your will, not mine. I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. Give me a passion for you and the fame of your name. 
Man, I, I just I think about this Father's Day. And it's like we're made in the image of God. And I think about from just just a small, reflective way being being a creature of God's. How he made my children to bring me joy. And I could I could kinda of understand like how we are to God, the Father. Remember that this Father's Day. And I just revel in that. John, John 16, 24 says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. Ask, and you will receive. That your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. There's a familiar phrase. We've, we've already seen that our joy is rooted in the fellowship with God and other Christians. If it's not, ask for it. That's a prayer God wants to and will answer. How awesome is that? James says, the times we don't get what we ask for is that we're seeking after the wrong thing. Namely, the, the world and the pleasures of it. You see, God, God doesn't give his children what destroys them. I love my kids. I'm not going to bring harm to them. God loves you. And it's about your joy in Him. One of the most direct answers to why God doesn't seem to answer our prayers is the same today as it was in the first century. It's because we're seeking joy. Think about the joy, what your pursuit is, and anything apart from Jesus. It's not possible. Temporary worthless apart from Jesus ultimately unfulfilling lastly do I desire others to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ again it may seem like a simple Sure, of course. But weigh it. Test it. If you want an extra large cheese pizza, you're going to grab your keys, drive to the restaurant, and you're going to get your pizza. Unless you're the creative type, and you know, get the ingredients together in your home and whip it together. If you want to lose weight, you're going to diet. Diet, maybe go running a, a few days a week. If you want to retire from your job one day, if you haven't already, you'll be putting some money away regularly. You get the point. 
What, what are you doing about it? What, what will you sacrifice to see it done? Is there something that, that you won't? It's the mission Jesus gave to his church. The name of Jesus is not known and exalted in all places today. Go get it done. Go get it done. That, that is what he's passionate about. Are, are we? Is that what stirs our heart? The fame of God's name. If not, I, I, I ask one last time, petition God for that in your life. Start structuring your life around it. Just please make sure it is joy-filled. You can't fellowship, worship, love, and serve people without a deep-rooted joy in Jesus. We need to be praying for us to be a church that rejoices in fellowship, hope-filled in our salvation, proclaimers of the gospel, and laborers in His kingdom for His glory and for His joy. Amen.